Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 6 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there. And we have been working through the book of Matthew in a series I have titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. Why? Well, we launched this series really to refocus our attention on the Lord Jesus. There are so many things in our society trying to pull our attention and get our attention on all kinds of views, all kinds of worldviews, all kinds of opinions. And I figured, hey, why don't we just get back to Jesus' worldview? And let's really look closely at what his view is. And the book of Matthew is very comprehensive in that it covers a, a lot of topics. It covers, covers a lot of different things. And so that's why I thought it would be a blessing for us to work through. This is sermon number 24 through the book of Matthew. And we are in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to look at a couple other texts today. And so you can kind of keep your... Uh, bookmark there in Matthew 6, and we'll jump around to a couple other passages. Heard of a story, maybe you heard of this one too, you probably did, I've told it a couple times. Um, there is a man who walks up to God and he says, hey Lord, um, is it true like a, a second is like a million years to you, and like a million years is like a second to you? And God's like, well, yeah, I guess, you know, because I'm outside of time. And so, you know, a second or a minute is the same as a million years. A million years is like a second. It's, it's kind of all the same. And then he says, well, what about uh, is, is a penny like a million dollars to you? And like, is a million dollars like a penny to you? And he says, well, I guess. I mean, I own everything. And so I really don't use money. I mean, uh, yeah, a penny is like a million dollars. A million dollars is like a penny. And so he thought he had God. He's like, well, Lord, then uh, I want to pray a prayer. Lord, oh, Lord, uh, can I have a penny? Lord God, can I have a penny? The Lord says, yes, just a second, just a second. Just a second, a million years, come on. That's all you get. Yeah, I'm trying to loosen it up because today you came on the right Sunday, the Sunday of all Sundays. We're going to talk about cash. We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about material things. We're going to talk about our treasure. In Matthew 6, uh, we don't talk about this all the time. We rarely talk about this. I really dedicate a sermon to this. The only time I choose to do so is as we are teaching through a book of the Bible. If the talk, topic comes up, that's what we're talking about. So I don't know why you magically showed up on this Sunday, but this is the Sunday you magically showed up on. And so maybe we need to talk about money. The title of the sermon today, if you're taking notes, is The Bank of Heaven. The Bank of Heaven. There's a bank in heaven? Yes. There is a bank in heaven, and Jesus talks about it today in our text. There are a lot of people praying that prayer, Lord, can I have a penny? Lord, can I have a million bucks? Lord, would you make me rich? There are a lot of people praying that prayer. People desire money. And people want it because they want it to make life easier. And we all understand this. We want to pay off our debts. We want to get ahead. We want to be able to have a little bit of cash in the bank. We want to be able to buy the coffee we want and maybe the clothes we want and maybe have a nice car and a nice place, right? 
And this is all fine in and of itself. But the problem is, is when those things start to own us instead of us owning those things. It was J.D. Rockefeller when asked, J.D., how much money is enough? He said, just one more dollar. The, the billionaire, trillionaire, whatever he was, he just wanted one more dollar. And that's honestly the problem with the pursuit of cash, success, investments, long-term materialism in a negative way. These things, again, are not bad in and of themselves. It is when greed sets in that a heart turns rotten. Money is not bad. Money is not evil, as we will see. The love of money is the root of all evil, not money in and of itself. We see this, and we're in the rat race. We are in uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses. And this place, right here in Southern California, from San Diego to Orange County to LA to Santa Barbara, we uh, major in this here. We are kind of leading the world uh, next to uh, New York City and uh, San Fran. We are leading the world on these major purchases and trying to keep up with the Joneses. But you heard about the guy who tried to sneak gold into heaven, right? Remember he walks in with pockets full of gold, pockets full of gold, and he comes in, he's like, Lord, look at all this gold I got on earth. Look at all this gold I stored up. And the Lord says, wow, that's impressive. Just throw it over here in the corner. That's asphalt up here. We paved the roads with it. Okay, we don't need it. Didn't mean anything. The streets are made of gold. We need to get our head in the clouds a little bit about material things and our treasures here on earth. Some people say, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I would say, unless you are heavenly minded, you are no earthly good. We have to have perspective on what we have, or as we see in our society, it will crush us. The bank of heaven, we get Jesus' worldview on cash today. Isn't this great? I love it. Thank you, Jesus, for covering all the topics. We are in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. You want to stand for the reading of God's word? If you'd like to, we always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we are reading. These aren't my words. This ain't my opinion. This is Jesus' opinion and his words. And his words actually have the power to change our minds and change our hearts for eternity. And they have. They've changed mine. And they've worked in many of your lives as well. And his words will minister to us once again today. Take a look, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, do not, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, Jesus says. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate our eyes and our hearts to see what you're saying to us individually. We come to hear from you. Please speak to us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Remember who Jesus is talking to? He is preaching to his disciples in this setting called the Sermon on the Mount. He's there on the side of this mountain there in the Galilee preaching to his disciples. It's easy to think this kind of sermon must be for non-believers, the world. After all, they are the ones storing up treasures on earth, right? Yes, they are, but this sermon is for his disciples. This is what Christ has called his people to do. He's teaching them about money. Money has been around forever. Currency has been around forever. Whether it be, uh, you know, bags of salt, bags of gold, bags of silver, it really goes back to the beginning of the human race. Point number one, if you're taking notes today, is the bank of heaven. Where do you store your treasure? Where do you store your treasure? Verse 19, again, look at your text. Look at your Bible there. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and seal. Notice Jesus re is reasoning with us, and he doesn't just command us. He could have just said, hey, this is the way it is. But he actually gives in some reasons as to why we should not store up treasure here on earth. And I'm thankful for the reasons because probably like you, when somebody tells me to do something, I'm like, why? I want to know why. I want reason. Don't just tell me to do something, expect me to do it. I want to know why you're telling me to do it and it better make sense. Jesus does this. He says, don't lay up treasures on earth or store treasure on earth. What is this? It's exactly what you think. Don't store up money, treasure, endless amounts of cash and assets, barns full of stuff and more barns. You know, 10 storage units full of stuff. What do you have it for? I don't know. I might need it someday. Really? I'm going to build a house. It's going to be 127 rooms. Why? Well, because I just want it. But are you going to use it? Like, do you have 127 kids you're going to adopt? Is that the plan? What is the point? Well, I, I stored up my barn, and I realized it was full, and so I tore it down and built a bigger one, and then tore that down and built a bigger one, and tore it down and built a bigger one. Interesting. I remember a story of a guy who was sitting there with his fishing pole on the shore fishing, and a man walks up to him and says, hey, how many fish did you catch today? He's like, oh, you know, I've caught two, just enough for us to eat today. We'll have a nice meal tonight, some fresh fish. And he said, hey, I, I know of a place in town where you should buy a nicer rod. If you get a nicer rod, you'll be able to pull in like three or five fish every day. Really? Why? Well, because then you can get more fish. Okay. 
But then he says, but I got even a better way. If you get a net, you can even pull in more fish. Like how many? He says, you could pull in like 20 or 30 today if you throw out the net. He says, why? He says, well, check this out. If you catch the fish, then you sell the fish and you make more money, then you could buy a boat. Then you can go out and get more fish. He says, well, why? He says, then because when you get the boat, you throw it out there, you can throw out your lures and you control and you can catch all these major tunas and you can get more and then you can sell at the market and you can buy more. Well, what would I buy? You could buy a bigger ship, bigger boat. Well, why? The man says, I, I kind of like just getting my two or three fish for the day. What do I need all that for? Why? I have enough for today. This is what Jesus is starting to argue and reason with us. Where is our contentment? What do we need? Trust me, I'm the first guy to have fun. I like toys. I like cool stuff. I like going and blowing cash. I enjoy that stuff. But again, we have to remember, does our stuff own us or do we own it? And do we own it enough to be able to use it for God's glory? I'll never forget Kenny Popwell, who bought a big boat. He's a construction guy, a developer. The church I was at before, and he bought this big tuna boat, and we would go down into Mexico waters, and uh, we would fish for two or three nights and go catch, we'd catch sharks. We caught all kinds of crazy stuff. It was fun. And I remember Kenny telling me, he's, he's, I was like, Kenny, this boat's crazy. This thing is sick, man. I, I love it. It's so fun. He even let me take my surfboard out on the back of it one time, and I, I took the, ski, uh, the rope out, and I was wakeboarding uh, with my surfboard on the back of this thing in the ocean. It was a blast. I asked Kenny, I said, Kenny, this boat's amazing. You know, you're going to keep it? I mean, this thing's really cool. You know what? He said this, I will keep it as long as I can use it to glorify God. And if stuff like this keeps happening, where I take all the guys out fishing, we get to worship, we get to do Bible study, we get to pray together, and then we get to fish. Like, that's it. He figured out what the purpose of the boat was for, not just to catch fish, but to somehow glorify God with what he had. I don't know what you have. I don't know what God's entrusted to you with material things, gifts, talents, and abilities, but you got to figure out how to use it for God's glory. You got to figure out how to spin it and start using it for other things other than yourself, or that greed starts to grow, and those, those, those roots, those weeds start to grow around your heart and start to tighten everything up, and then you become stingy, and then you become greedy, and then you, you don't want to use your things for anything but yourself. You forget the purpose of all this stuff. Can you use it for yourself? Of course. Have fun. Have a blast. But don't forget why God has entrusted it to you. Let's talk about this. I want to clarify Jesus is not saying you can't have nice things, enjoy nice, a nice home or car, clothes, whatever it may be. Material things, again, are not evil in and of themselves. It's what we do with them. It's how we store them. It's how we guard them. If we worship them and pursue them above the Lord Jesus. Here's a good way to put it. Again, do we own our treasures or do our treasures own us? Do we own our treasures or do our treasures own us? The Bible tells us to enjoy the fruit of our labor. You worked hard. You put in the time. You've made it happen. Psalm 128, 1 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. 
the psalmist says that the Lord is saying, hey, you worked hard, enjoy it. Enjoy it. But don't worship it. The Lord is to be worshipped, not these things. We are to enjoy the work of our hands, but we should never live to gain it. We live for the Lord, not for money, not for material things. Jesus reasons with moth, rust, and thieves. These are the three things he points out. Now, moths supposedly eat away clothes, garments. That's why people put mothballs in their closets, right? I've never done this, but I guess if you have lots of clothes and you like store them up, you have to like put plastic over them or something, or the moths will somehow find their way in and start eating the garments. I'm sure this was uh, happening a ton in Jesus' day. But it's interesting even to think through Jesus, how many pairs of clothes did he have? It's like, Jesus, man, those sandals are, man, dope. Where'd you get those? Sandals by Yahweh, you know, I made them myself. Wow, incredible. Real leather, real Italian leather. You have that imported from Rome? Yeah. Those are sick. Jesus like, yeah, it's the only ones I got, but they work. The Bible tells us he had no place to lay his head. Amazing. The king of kings, the lord of lords, who could come down in a palace if you want to, and he says, nah, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go away the opposite way from what everyone else is doing. Why? He was an example to us. He's not saying these things are bad. He's trying to give us an example. Why would we just store up more and more and more when we know it's going to decay and break down? You got, you know, when, when there's a thousand jackets, it's like, I can't even wear one a year. We got so many in there. If I wore one every single day for an entire year, I'm still not even touching, barely touching a third of that. What's the point? It's the same with rust. Interesting, he points out moth, then he points out rust. Vehicles, rust was active back in Jesus' day, not, well, maybe with chariots, but it's interesting that, they, that he contrasts this with metal because we still have a rust problem in this day and age, and it literally corrodes and eats things away. Rust will find all metals eventually. Wood will be eaten by the termites. Everything needs repair, doesn't it? Then the Lord takes us to the thief. Here on earth, everything can be stolen or taken away from us. And some think, no, not my safe. No way, not my safe that I have at the house. No one's breaking into that. That's not always the way things are taken from us. We lose material things, opportunities, money, relationships. Everything here on earth can and will be taken from us from time to time. And this is the point Jesus is making. Don't store up your treasure on earth. Be careful to invest all of your treasure, all of your being into what is on earth. If you get your mind so wrapped up on what is on earth, when it's taken from you, your mind falls. When it's taken from you, your heart falls and depression sets in. So we can't worship this stuff. We're going to live in it. We're going to enjoy it, but it's not going to own us. When you store up treasure in these things, your heart is invested in them, and then they are, when they are taken away again, our heart can go south. We are not to place our hope in these things because we know you can already project that these things 
will leave us many times in life. Listen to some of the things that have been stolen. This was on richest.com. Somebody tried to steal 300 manhole covers in 1990 in LA. They stole 300 manhole covers. It's 90,000 pounds. And they went on to try to sell the metal for 75 bucks. <laughs> Idiots. Somebody stole a tank. Uh, yes, he sold on May 17th in 95. And he went on a rampage just running things over. He thought it was fun. He stole a tank. Somebody stole a church. 200-year-old church was stolen in Russia. Brick by brick, the villagers of the nearby village stole the church to sell them to a local business who would use them for material. They would just walk over, they'd get a bag full, and they continue on. One day, there's no more church. Uh, a fully loaded oil tanker was stolen in 2008. The Somalia pirates stole a fully loaded oil tanker from an oil field in Ghana. The oil tanker contained 4.1 million barrels of oil worth $100 each. $400 million in oil. Somebody stole a fighter plane, 92. Major from uh, the Israel Air Force stole a World War II Mustang fighter pilot uh, plane, sorry, fighter plane, and after spotting the plane in a reserve airfield where it was waiting to be moved to a museum, the major spent some time restoring it, then he flew it, an almost priceless vintage plane, to Sweden where he sold it for $331,000. Somebody stole a 3,000-pound bell in Tacoma, Washington from a Buddhist temple, and they were caught a couple years later trying to sell it for 500 bucks. It was a priceless piece. You know somebody stole a beach? Yes, in the year 2008, beautiful Jamaica, hundreds of tons of sand was stolen from Coral Spring Beach in 2008, and Jamaican police still aren't sure who took it. The stolen property, which would have equated to 500 truckloads of sand, they think that a rival resort like came in and stole it. Isn't that crazy or what? And the best, are you ready? The Empire State Building. In 2008, the New York Daily newspaper stole the Empire State Building. According to the paper, the stunt was launched in order to highlight the gigantic loophole in the city's system for recording deeds. That is, the clerks didn't have to verify the information. So they just changed it over and boom, they all of a sudden were owners of the Empire State Building. Do you know even the Mona Lisa was stolen? In 1911, yes, 1911, the Leonardo da Vinci painting, the Mona Lisa, was stolen from the Louvre. And it was ultimately discovered that a handyman had stolen it. How did he do it? It was very simple. He hid in the closet overnight, took the painting off the wall when the museum was closed, and hid it under his cloak and walked out with it. During that time period, security wasn't a... Was, uh, the, wasn't the museum's highest priority. The police questioned him twice and couldn't figure out who had done it. They actually accused Picasso, who was alive at the time, uh, Pablo Picasso, uh, as a suspect. And two years later, this guy was arrested as he tried to sell it to someone. The police set up a sting operation and caught him. Look, everything on earth will break down and can be taken from us, even the Mona Lisa. So don't hold on to anything too tight. Not your watch, not your shoes, not your house, not your cars, not even your money. Um, in 1929, the Great Depression, there was a bank run where people couldn't get access to their cash because people were in fear 
of what was happening in the market. Everybody ran to the bank to get cash out and they couldn't pay out enough cash because it wasn't in the banks. They couldn't even get to their cash. We kind of experienced a little bit of that there in 2020. It was like the banks were putting caps on how much you could withdraw because everybody was nervous about the pandemic. What is the idea? What am I trying to communicate? This is it, family, that we are not to be so wrapped up in the things on the earth because it could be and might be taken. And if you put your treasure in any of these things, your hope will fall when it's gone. You trying to scare us, Pastor? No. Just wake us up to spiritual realities. It's important. In Luke 16, there's a story of a guy who is a non-believer. And he goes to his boss, and he's not doing a good job. And so his boss says, I'm going to fire you. And the guy knows that he's going to be fired no matter what. And what he does is he goes to his boss's clients who owe him money, and he cuts their bills in half to build a relationship with them before he gets fired. He says, hey, you owe 10 grand, it's only 5,000 now. Hey, you owe 100 grand, it's only 50,000 now. And he goes and does these things as a shrewd businessman to leverage himself in the future, even though his boss is gonna lose long-term. And this is what Jesus says about him. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. The boss had to admire the employee. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Here is the lesson, Jesus says, verse 9. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. He gives us a definition as to what our worldly assets are for. He says, use them to build friendships with people in the world and win them ultimately to God's glory. What? I know a group of young guys who learned from a bunch of old guys who were really wealthy. And these group of young guys are trying to do the same thing. These uh, old men who are very wealthy would get together and do these retreats take guys up skiing, take them out, doing these things, and they invite all these non-believers, they'd schmooze them and bless them with all the best food and all of this stuff, and then they would have these speakers come in and give talks about Jesus. To talk with these world influencers about the one who has gifted them with all of the ability to make money and to think business, to use their gift talents, and they would sway these guys in the direction of Christ. Well, there's a young group of guys who grew up under these older men, and now they are doing the same thing. They're in their 30s, and they are rallying all the young people who are wealthy around them, all these non-believers. They bring them on the retreat, and then they bomb them with the gospel. They're using their wealth and their influence to bring people to Christ. What else is it for? What else is it for? You know, once you reach a certain place in your finances, once you can buy the food you want, you're living in a nice house, it's warm, you're driving the car you want, you've got the things that you need. 
it literally, when you get to that place, when you break that lid and you can literally buy what you want, it doesn't even matter anymore. You seriously, every time you buy a new thing, the Amazon package comes in, you're like, sweet. You're able to level up in the car purchase and you finally buy it and you're like, oh, that's cool. And after two years, you're like, man, I kind of want a different one. It's funny how this works. What it's telling is that we are ultimately never satisfied in these things. We don't grow content in these things. Listen to those who have already achieved them. They do not bring us peace. This is important. I remember some statistic. It's like the level of happiness. Once you have food, water, and shelter, your happiness level is already about 80 or 85%. There are people in the world trying to get this still. Just clean water, good food, and a warm home. Once you have these three things, your happiness level is literally like 85% already. You got 15% to work with. Try to get that happiness level up. We do it through material things, and then they let us down. It's like, it's cool. I remember as a kid growing up with not much at all. I remember we'd never, we could never ask our dad for anything. You don't ask for anything. Because we didn't have the money. We already knew the answer. Hey, Dad, I need 20 bucks so I can go buy PE shorts. We already knew. Don't ask. Because we don't have the money. And so forever I dreamed about getting to a place where I could just buy the coffee I want or drive a car that I want or get clothes that I like. And I remember somewhere between 25 and 30, when I had paid off all of my debt and the cash flow started coming into my account, my bills are very low, and all of a sudden I just started realizing, wow, I can just go, I want to buy that, I'm going to buy it. I want to get that, I'm going to do it. A couple guys started teaching me little investment things and I start compounding money. You can see how this works and you start saying, wow, it doesn't matter anymore. It's just numbers on paper. And it really, in the end, it doesn't bring me any more happiness if it goes from here to here. I get stoked for a couple minutes, and then I'm like, okay, back to my day. Really? I'm playing with 5% of happiness. So what are you to do with it once, once you get to these levels? We are the richest people on the planet. Do you realize that? We are the wealthiest people the top 5% of the world. There are people living still without clean water and without food. And here we are, worried about all kinds of things. We're so wrapped up in the things of the world. I'm telling you, I love enjoying the stuff as well. I really do. You see, hang out with me. We're going to go have a blast. I love it. But you start realizing what is all of this for in the end. If I don't start giving it away and I don't start investing in the kingdom and using this for God's glory, I'm going to end up an old man with all this stuff, barns full of things. I didn't do anything. And now it's time to walk into eternity and step on the other side. And the Lord's like, what did you do with all that gift, talents, and abilities I gave you? Lord, look at my barns. Don't you see my gold? Check out my gold stash. That's impressive. Now throw it over there in the corner. The tractors are rolling in. We're going to pave some streets. Thank you. You don't want to use it to build your palace? Nah, we don't use those materials up here. That's trash over here, actually. Don't store up treasure here on earth. Store it in heaven. Lay up for yourselves, verse 20, treasures in heaven. The bank in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus says. When you get this family, it is freeing. You know that 
it doesn't matter who you are, rich or poor, you can be all, everyone can be greedy. Everyone. How do we know? When we're not able, people say, hey, when I got five million bucks, I'm going to give it all away. Well, how much do you have in your pocket right now? I got five bucks. Are you going to give it all away? No. Well, why not? Because I need that five bucks, then you're not going to give away the five million. It all comes down to the heart. If we're not generous today, we're not going to be generous tomorrow, and generosity breaks off the greed around your heart. If you want to stay healthy in the things of finance and the things of material things, you must give. We're going to talk about what that looks like. I'm not just talking about particularly to the church. It's one of the things. But I'm talking about the way that our life pours into our city, into our neighbors, into our family members, into our friends. The bank of heaven. Four places we can do this. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, number one. Yes, give to the mission of the local church. The church is called to make disciples and carry the gospel. 2 Corinthians 9-7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul wrote this, the Apostle Paul wrote this to a local church in the city of Corinth. Do you know where Corinth is? It's in Greece. You can go there right now. Yes, the city of Corinth. And there was a church there, and Paul was writing a letter to them, and he says, hey, church in Corinth, let each of you decide how he is to give to support the church. The fact of the matter is, again, I, you guys know, you listen to my sermons, I don't talk about this in sermons often. I don't spend a whole sermon, that's for sure. The fact of the matter is, do you know that we pay rent to be here? Yes, real hard, cold cash goes out of the church bank account into the bank account of the school here. Do you know that someone paid for that carpet? Someone paid for these chairs? Someone paid for all of this so that we can meet. Do you know we have families who are struggling from time to time who can't pay their rent or can't pay their cell phone bill or can't get their tires changed or whatever it may be? And as church members, we step up to love and serve and take care of those around us. And because some of you don't know the needs in the church, you entrust that to the elders or the deacons of the church to figure out how to spread that money out amongst the people who are here. And so we try to do that. We try to be very diligent with the finances from the backside. Every single thing counted and budgeted. And really from the beginning, uh, the motto here at Legacy, it's kind of, it's more of a Josh Thompson, uh, Pastor Josh Thompson command than a Bible command. I just said, if we don't need it, we're not buying it, okay? If we don't need it, we're not buying it, okay? And that has afforded us the opportunity to get through 2020 and to be able to stay healthy as a church financially. But how does this work? Do you know how it works? It comes down to each church member praying and asking God, Lord, what would you desire me to give? Lord, what is my obligation? How am I to support the local church? And there are very generous people here at Legacy. You would not even believe what people do here at this church. It is amazing to see the generosity. It blew my mind when I stepped out here into LA because I didn't think there was a single person in this city who really wanted to study the Bible and to really worship God, especially with their finances. People show up and they say, we're a thousand percent in, let's go. Let's spread the gospel to LA. Let's love and serve people in this city. Let's spread the work of God in this city. I'm like, okay, let's go. 
The generosity is absolutely incredible. And the blessing is theirs. The blessing belongs to the believer. God does this in our lives, and it comes from so many different angles. We're not televangelists here. Sow 10 cents and gain a million. No, not the way it works. They're making that stuff up to get you to give a bunch of money. So don't do it. They took advantage of my grandma too. What are you to, to do then? What does the text say? Jesus says, the apostle Paul says, Jesus said it's far better to give than receive. And Jesus was giving a tenth of his income in that time as they did in the Old Testament, as they did in the New Testament. But then Paul takes it a step further and just says, pray and ask God. Let you decide in your own heart. And please don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. If you're like, you're going to have to pry this from my dead cold fingers. I'm like, then don't give. God doesn't need your money. He'll provide through somebody else. He always has and he always will. And there are hundreds of people missing out on the opportunity, hundreds of people missing out. God is calling us simply to figure out what giving cheerfully looks like. That's what it comes down to. Remember the woman who gave two pence? There's a Pharisee who rolls up and he drops all this money in the account, in the uh, temple. And he's like, did you guys see what I did? Did you see all that money I give? Man, I'm amazing, aren't I? You know, I gave all this cash. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yep, I know. I give more than anybody. And Jesus is sitting back watching this. See this little old woman show up, gives her two pence. And Jesus says, that woman gave more than that guy over there because she gave all that she had. She didn't have anything else to give. And it was cheerful, not reluctantly or out of compulsion. My dad taught us this when we were kids. I remember we didn't have, again, we didn't have money growing up, but I remember my dad would give us a quarter, give us 50 cents, roll up with my two pieces of silver, fake silver, you know, mostly copper. <laughs> whatever it is, fake metal in there. Roll up with my two coins, and I drop that baby in the bag. He was teaching us from a young age that it all belongs to God. And I got to figure out, it looks different for every single person in here. You must understand, this isn't a competition, okay? This is between you and God. You figure out what it looks like to store treasure in heaven. Number two, if you're taking notes, practical ways to give. Be generous with people in the name of Jesus. This is fun to do. Be generous with people in the name of Jesus. Some dude at the gas station comes up and asks me for some money. I'll look him in the face and say, well, first I'll, I'll try to assess what's going on. What's up, man? Can you just give me some cash so I can get a brewski? No, actually, no. No, I can't. Um, I'll buy you some food next door if you want to do that. You want to do that? You want to get some food? Hook you up. The guy smashed out of his mind. Like, I, I'm, I'm probably not going to give him cash unless I feel the Lord really putting it on my heart. Bless this guy. This is what I'll do. I'll talk to him for a while. And then I'll always ask him, I'll say, what's your next step, you know? Like, when do you think you'll be off the street, like back in, in a place where you really want to be? He's like, um, I don't know. Like, you think it'll be in a month? Oh, no, I, I don't know. Two months? Well, I don't know. What do you think, three months? We probably, you'd be back on your feet, moving forward. What do you think? 
get him thinking, get him moving forward, trying to figure out where he's at, how he got on the street, why he's there. And then I say this to him, I'm going to give you some cash, but only if I can give it to you in the name of Jesus. Is that okay? Yeah, man, okay. Then I give this to you in the name of Jesus. Can I pray for you? Say a prayer for him. You watch people's demeanor change so quick. You're doing what? This cash is not to glorify me. It's to glorify Jesus. It's to point to the one who gave it to me. It's to point to the one who enabled me to be able to even think this way, believe this way, that I would want to take steps to bless somebody who is in need. Be generous with people in the name of Jesus because God has been generous with you. So love John Corson used to talk about this. He said he would carry $100 bills in his wallet. He would do no less than $100 so that he could bless people in the park. He said when the Lord was ministering to him, he said, go bless that person. He would walk up to them and he said, he would walk up, I give this to you in the name of Jesus, no less than $100. That was his deal with God. That's the way he wanted to do it. Acts 20, 35 says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than receive. We must help those who are weak and in need. Number three, if you're taking notes, help others in the church. People in our church, family, listen, don't miss this. Please don't miss this. If you hear about a need of another brother or sister in the church and you know you can take care of it, Take care of it. You don't have to come tell me. Just take care of it. Just secretly bless them or get, get, give a check to this person to give to them or walk up with an envelope and say, hey, I just want to bless you. God bless you. Take care of it. Why else do we have the cash in our account to be able to do it? 1 John 3.17 says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? It says, if we, if we look at that person, we know they're about to get kicked out of their house, and, and we actually have the means to probably help them stay in, and we think it's a good thing that they do stay in, that place that they want to stay in, and we hear about that, and we're just like, oh, come here, brother, let me pray for you that God will bless you. <laughs> Uh, Father, uh, bless them. The Lord's like, it's in your account. Lord, I pray that somebody else would bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Bye. What are we doing? Aren't you happy that God hasn't done that with us? Lord, I need. Lord, I want. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't have the means to help you. No, Lord, you do. You can provide for me. Yeah, I don't think I can. Oh, no, God's promises. What does he say? That he will provide for us infinitely. That he will keep pouring out on us and take care of us. There's not a single need that his people will have. We will always be taken care of. You may see, the psalmist gives an illustration, you may see animals in the wilderness in need, but you will never see God's people in need. He takes care of his people. 
We have to learn to do this. And it is such a radical move that people in our culture kind of don't know what to do about it. We're all about taking in this culture. Whatever happened to being gracious and generous with those around us. Point number four and finally, use all the material you have for God's glory. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I've heard of pastors and people who give 90% of their income away because the 10% is so much more than enough, they don't even know what to do with it. These guys are making millions. They just keep giving the 90% away. They just give it all. Just give it all away, give it all away. And they literally cannot give it all away because it keeps coming back to them. Generosity. They'll even teach you this in business. They teach you that a generous heart and giving to other people. Atheists will teach you this. The giving generous heart builds bridges into all these other people. It's stolen from here. It's in the text. It was taught to us long ago. Even the Jews were told that when they planted a field, they they got a football field full of oranges. You know what God said to them? You will let the foreigners of the land glean from your field, the corners of your field. Anybody who comes into town can walk up to your land and just take it off and eat it. Why? Because they're hungry. And you got a full field. You're going to share. You're going to take care of those around you. How have we lost this? I teach Eden to share. Yeah, my little babe, she's just three years old, and I teach her to share. Okay, we've got to share now. We've got to share. And it's funny, like, I'm holding the remote and, like, trying to turn on a show and this and that. She looks at me and says, Daddy, share. (laughs) She wants the remote. I love it. It's funny, as adults, we do all these gymnastics so that we don't have to share. We don't have to actually share with other people. Where your treasure is, your heart is going to be also. Did you get it? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? Wherever it is, your heart will follow. Watch this. If you put forth action... To whatever you put forth action, your heart is going to follow after. Did you know that? Anything you put action, move, and take a step forward in, your heart will start to go after that thing. Let's say with sports, for instance, if you get into a team, you start putting action in that direction, or into that event, or that sport, whatever it may be, all of a sudden, interesting, the more you invest into that thing, the more your heart follows, and you fall more and more in love with it. That classic car. You get it, you start shining it up, you start fixing it up. The more you invest, the more action you put into it, the more your heart starts to go after it. And some guy wants to, you know, give it to you or purchase it from you for some price. And even though it's a good price, you're like, I'm not selling that for that price. This thing is worth way more. Why? Because you put your heart into it. You spent time with it. The same happens with the relationships. If you invest time and energy into your marriage, into your relationship, you know what happens? Your heart goes after it. People. The same thing with God's kingdom. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My heart's not in God's kingdom. It doesn't feel in God's kingdom. What do you invest? How do you invest that way? Listen to the wise words of Solomon. 
you know what, but yeah, yeah, let's do it. Just listen, let this wash over you. One of the richest guys to ever walk the earth. Are you ready? Has more money than anyone. Multiplied in everything. And women too, it's true. Thank you, Serge. Yeah, women, if you want the numbers, he had 300 wives and 700 concubines. He was a king on the earth. He multiplied in horses. He multiplied in gold and silver. He multiplied in knowledge. He multiplied, you name it, he multiplied in it. In Ecclesiastes, he writes this, words of wisdom. Are you ready? Coming from a very wealthy man, he says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? This is written thousands of years ago. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There is another serious problem I've seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, there is nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And this, too, is a very serious problem. Solomon says, people leave this world no better off than when they came. And their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Even so, I have noticed one thing, at least, that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them, and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work, and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they have no time to brood over the past. I love that. He says you better realize it all came from God. And you better realize why he's imparted it to you and what you need to be doing with it. Conclusion, God wants you to work hard, but work hard and possessions are not the goal in life. Working hard and possessions are not the goal in life. Rather, eternity with our God is the goal. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. What am I to seek first? Not riches, not wealth, not success, not fame. Can I pursue some of those things? Of course, we have to. We will. It will naturally happen. But we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be taken care of. Let's remember the work of the Lord Jesus, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might be rich. Jesus ruling and reigning the universe in heaven, comes down to the earth and lives as a poor man and even becomes more poor than any person on the planet. How so? It is when he allowed himself, the creator of the universe, to be crucified by human beings, nailed to a cross, 
and plunged into the darkness of sin. He took the, the world's sin upon himself, becoming the poorest of the poor of the poor spiritually. He was treated like a criminal, and the wrath of God was dumped out upon him. He drank down hell for us. He was poorer than anyone else has ever been poor spiritually. Why? So that we could be rich spiritually. Then he says, I have become this poor so that you can become rich. How? I give you the gift of heaven. I give you forgiveness of sins. I give you a relationship with God which no man can purchase. It is the greatest gift on the planet. And we are unbelievably wealthy because of the relationship we have with God. You can take all my cash away. You can take everything else away. But you know what? You can't take my God away. You can't take my relationship with the God who has made all these things away. I have access to the one who holds it all together. Thus, I am filthy rich in him. Amen? We are rich spiritually. God has blessed you. Let's all stand up. I want to read the words of Jesus to you one last time, and then we will pray, and we'll worship in a song, and we'll be on our way. Are you guys okay? Nothing too much? You had the five-point harness on, strapped in, ready to go, right? I don't like talking about money, to be honest. I don't enjoy it. It's awkward in our society. But man, we know that this affects every single one of us. And so we need to get this right, lest we become sick in our culture and our society. Listen again to the words of Jesus as we close with this in mind. Verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father, we, Lord, we stop now. And we reflect on how gracious and generous and awesome you have been to us. You've given us the priceless gift of forgiveness, lifting our burdens. Cast your burden upon me and I will give you rest. You have provided for all of our needs according to your riches and glory. I will provide all of your needs according to my riches and glory, you say. You give us peace that surpasses understanding with which no man can purchase, no woman can achieve. It's peace from you. We thank you for the gifts that you have done in the work of the cross in your death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you that you've brought forth a way of salvation that we can be reconciled in relationship to the God who made us. All you call us to do is to repent by believing on you with all of our hearts, turning away from the beliefs of the world and turning to you with all of our hearts. And so we choose to believe in your work and plan of salvation. We choose to believe that you alone can forgive. We choose to believe that you alone gift us with heaven. We believe your message. We believe your work. We thank you, Jesus, for saving us. I pray for those believing on it now that you would forgive them of their sins. Lord, that you would wipe it all away. That you would renew their relationship with you, God. You give them newness of life. We turn to you now. 
Use our gifts, talents, and abilities, all of it, for your glory. We give it back to you. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.